Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wormy coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. out on the West Coast. So if you're up and watching this early, kudos to you and all time zones in between and around the world. This is the Daniel Wormy Show. Appreciate you tuning in each and every weekday. Today, coming up in a few minutes, we have Roberto Rojas. Really excited to uh, chat with him. Hope you're uh, having a good day. Yesterday, there was an absolute mauling in London. Has anyone checked to see if Tottenham is still alive? Wow. Bayern Munich just walloped, waylaid, any other adjective you want to use. <laughs> wow, they um, they just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, and Tottenham has been in just this horrendous form. It, it has not mattered whether it's the Premier League, whether it was in the League Cup or the Champions League. Things are not right in Tottenham. Um the Hotspurs are are not so hot right now. Um, it, it, it appears as though there's a massive hangover from the spring. And I want to I want to compare and and contrast um, a little bit of of where Tottenham are right now versus a year ago with Liverpool. So Liverpool makes it to the final. Salah gets hurt in that Ramos tackle uh, playing Real Madrid. Goalkeeper just has a horrible night in that Champions League final. Liverpool loses. Liverpool comes back. And they compete for the league. And they make it their mission to get redemption. We all know what happened this past spring. The miracle semifinal against Barcelona they go to Madrid for the Champions League final and they win 2-0 Tottenham instead of following a similar path Tottenham has come out in a way that, that, that we expect a lot of teams to come out when they face adversity and that is they are struggling and they are struggling bad it is not good Tottenham are are having all kinds of issues all over the pitch it doesn't seem to me that that Pochettino is able at this point to inspire his team and get them on the right path they're just not quite there I think you know, a year ago, we were talking about that, that squad needing, you know, an injection. And I think this summer, especially following up, getting to the Champions League final, they probably needed an, inje- an injection uh, of some, you know, some new faces, etc. A lot of rumors about Erickson leaving. Erickson's still there. I just don't know how happy all the players are. Even Pochettino himself was flirting with leaving. Um, I, 
they're going to have to circle the wagons. They're going to have to come together really quickly or this whole season's going to get out of hand really fast. And, and they're going to go from a Champions League final appearance in the spring of 2019 to no Champions League going forward, at least for the, for next year, because it's just, it's just uh, in shambles right now. It's, it's just really chaotic and, um, and you can see it, you know, there are times where you talk about a team and, and, and some of the things going on behind the scenes and this, that, and that. you can see Tottenham. They are just struggling. And um, it is, uh, it is a major, major issue for them um, for, for certain. Uh, Klinsman is, is back in the news. Jurgen Klinsman, former manager of the U.S. men's national team, called the CONCACAF Nations League a, quote, waste of time and said that if the U.S., Mexico, and Costa Rica are ever to get to the level of the top international size, they need to find competition outside the region. Speaking to ESPN's Hercules Gomez, my apologies, Herc, in the wake of ESPN securing the U.S. broadcast rights to the Bundesliga, Klinsman was blunt in his assessment of the CONCACAF region. I think the biggest challenge for the United States or even Mexico or Costa Rica for the key countries in this region is you don't really have the highest competition outside, Klinsman said. That means when you play just within your own system, you don't have the big matches against European countries or South American countries in order to grow your program, in order to grow your players. So literally, when you are kind of locked into CONCACAF and you don't play Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and Chile every year, or you don't play Holland, Germany, England, Spain, Italy every year, you have no chance to grow. And that's what I always said. You have to leave this region here in order to make your program better, to improve your players. And this is a big, big handicap for all the players and all the programs. If it's Mexico, Costa Rica, or the United States. Let me translate what Jurgen Klinsmann's saying into even more simple terms. CONCACAF is a very weak region in the world and it needs its best teams to face to face the best competition in order for its best teams to get better and compete on an international stage. Period. Now what does that sound like? He's calling for more competition, higher levels of competition, pushing our players, making them play in uncomfortable environments, testing themselves. Those are the principles of merit, of competition. He got himself in trouble with the Federation and with Don Garber. One of the puppet masters of the U.S. Soccer Federation, a.k.a. the commissioner of Major League Soccer and the CEO of Soccer United Marketing. When he continually called out the level of Major League Soccer. 
if our players are only playing in Major League Soccer, they're not competing against the best in the world. So let's go back and let's look at what he's saying about CONCACAF. And we know some of the things he said in the past. And let's put this in perspective for a minute about Major League Soccer and our domestic system. I think the biggest challenge for the United States or even Mexico or Costa Rica for the key countries in this region is you don't really have the highest competition outside. If we're looking at this from the lens of MLS and MLS players, it would be, I think, the biggest challenge for American players, for the players that we think are national team level or possibly national team level in the U.S., if you don't really have the highest competition from the outside, if you're not really competing on a global stage at the highest levels in the world, that means that when you play just within your own league, Major League Soccer, when you're mainly playing against your own level of players, You don't have the big matches against Barcelona, Madrid, Liverpool, Bayern Munich. You're not playing against River or Boca in order to grow as a player, in order to develop as a player. You see how we can sub these things out? We can we can we can look at his comments and and know what he said in the past about Major League Soccer and we can look at that in the same light. He when he's talking about CONCACAF, he's talking about in in this particular interview about our national team competing in this CONCACAF Nations League and how he he considers it a waste of time. But our problem goes beyond just the CONCACAF Nations League. It's it's that we're looking at Major League Soccer for our, our, our primary pool of coaching candidates, our primary pool of players. Yes, we're sprinkling in some players from Europe, but, but we keep looking to Major League Soccer to bring in the likes of Giazzi Sardis, into the team. We're looking to bring in other players that are playing Major League Soccer as a core piece of our program. So when he says, so literally when you were kind of locked into CONCACAF, or in the case of our players, Major League Soccer, and you don't play Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Chile, Holland, Germany, England, Spain, Italy, every year you have no chance to grow. When our players are not competing in the best leagues around the world, in the toughest environments, they're not being tested. They're not being shaped and molded and developed. Everything is insulated. He is spot on. Love him or hate him. He's certainly right in this case. There is no doubt about it. 
Our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. There you can find uh, really cool products. One of them is this new t-shirt that's really awesome. Another one is uh, this player journal. And they've got more products coming out soon, just in time for Christmas. Check them out at DuckTickBrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. And use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order. We'll be right back after this with Roberto Rojas. show thanks for tuning in this wednesday october the second we are joined by roberto rojas he is a multimedia journalist with bn sports usa roberto welcome to the show how are you this morning how are you good morning it's um it's kind of actually warm here today here in in connecticut and you know we're already heading into october it's on fall it's already fall but Apparently a high of 86. Um, that's not quite normal here. <laughs> well, uh, in, enjoy that fall weather. Um, there there are places like where I live where uh, we get fall for a week, maybe a day. And <laughs> at least it feels that way. I, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine uh, yesterday and uh and, and she was asking, you know, she was saying yesterday that it was kind of, it was kind of cool where she was. And I, um, I was like, really? Like, you're going to bring that up? And she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, it feels like Satan's armpit, uh, where I am. It's, it's <laughs> hell hot and humid and it's October. This is, this, something's off here. Um, uh, I wish it was off. It's off in the fact that I, I just live in the wrong place uh, for the weather that I enjoy, for sure. Um, so, yeah, well, it, you know, look, enjoy your 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 quote-unquote warm day at 85, 87 up there in Connecticut. Um, we, we will continue to suffer with 100-plus uh, degrees and uh, humidity. Um it, it it just it's it's brutal down here on the Gulf. So, um, 
So t- tell us uh, a little bit of your background. Like, you know, where did you first fall in love with the sport of, of football, the sport of soccer? Yeah, absolutely. So coming from a Paraguayan American, Paraguayan background, both of my parents came from Paraguay in the in the 80s and the 90s, respectively, where soccer was huge. Uh, it still is huge. It's the biggest sport as it is in a lot of countries in South America. And I guess from a time where, you know, I'm, I'm an only child. I'm the only person that was raised in the family. Um, you know, I grew up like liking other sports, obviously, like baseball, basketball, uh, football, like any other American kid growing up in in New England. And But just for me, for soccer, I think it was just constituted on the fact that, you know, my parents liked it. They played it. They, they were fans of it. And I think from there, if, you know, if I, I played soccer when I was little and then watching, you know, World Cups or games in, in, in England or Europe in general, South America, too, I guess. And then that just some spark came up. I think during the the 2014 World Cup, you know, I was approaching my senior year in high school, heading into college, and and I guess like watching that kind of stuff, you know, coverage of the TV coverage, that was able to be kind of a catalyst for me to decide that you know I I wanted to do what they were doing, you know, the fact that they were getting to travel the entire world to talk about soccer. You know, I thought to myself, you know, why can't I do such a thing like that? So I, I imposed myself to, to try to be that kind of person. You know, obviously I, I was, um, I'm part of a podcast that had been for now six years, five years, um, with my co-host Joey Sullivan called the Football, and what we've been able to do over the last five years is, and I think for myself, uh, personally, was trying to basically make myself kind of a, a respected figure, you know, try to be more of a professional, even though at such a young age, it, it was going to be tough to try to break into an industry of, of, of established journalists. I think for myself, being able to, you know, talk to people about soccer, to talk about soccer in general, to make connections, to, to you know, use a Twitter account like I, I have here um, as a professional um, springboard to eventually get to where I am right now at being sports and doing other freelance stuff. Uh, I say that's, that's something that for me, it's, it's been quite crazy thinking about it of what I've been able to achieve. Obviously I've written as well for other outlets called like Babel, for example, which allowed me to travel um, across around the world, basically to, to various soccer events, be it a Copa America, be it a gold cup or MLS or, or anything like that. It, it really has been quite a, a combination of so many things in short little in such a little time that I'm, I'm very proud of. And I'm hopeful that heading into the next few years that I'm able to be much more established and be one of those type of um, established you know, professionals in the industry. Now, um, recently in the last year or so, you you were hot on the trail of Miguel Almaron uh, and his transfer to Newcastle. Uh, if you wanted to know what was going on, you uh, anyone would be following you. Uh, you were you were obviously um, right on the money there with your reporting and your sources. Um, now that you've got a, a Paraguayan playing at Newcastle under this new coach. Um, there's been some, you know, reports about how, you know, 
he's not getting used the way he was in the past and he's out on the wing and there's, you know, a little bit of head scratching, et cetera. Um, have you, have you seen anything, heard anything from Al Marone and his camp about kind of where he's feeling um, or how he's feeling uh, with his current situation with Newcastle? Yeah. Um, so just going back into that whole transfer, I think many people were very happy. I think in a lot of ways, you know, I think that those in, in Paraguay um, are very, were very happy considering that a, he is considered the best player on their national team and probably the whole country for him to go to possibly the best league in the world in the Premier league was something that many people were excited about from a United States standpoint, those that were in Atlanta were sad to see him go, but realized that, you know, he really was up for the, the, the challenge of going into Newcastle and, mm-hmm. and, and went from there. So it, it, it really has been quite a, a, an interesting last, I would say, 10 months uh, for Miguel Miron. I think the fact that he was bought from a player, uh, from a manager like Rafa Benitez, who was able to utilize him in the best way, even though he didn't score or provide an assist during those last few months that Rafa was in charge, it was still important, I think, for creating chances and, 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 and I think providing that spark that allowed them to stay off relegation um, and, and continue in the Premier League. After this season, though, now it's quite interesting. Um, I think knowing what we were able to see so far, and yes, you were completely right. I think Steve Bruce is utilizing him in the in the wrong way that he was suppo- that he's not used at all. You know, the fact that he was he was quoted to saying that you know he's not a natural ten and he's more of a of an inside forward. It really, <laughs> it was kind of gave me a bit of a chuckle because of the fact that you really are seeing a player like him be wasted on the on the right wing which he's never played before you know the fact that he's better on the left he's played as a as a number 10 as a central attacking midfielder for most of his career and that's where he works best at is is shocking and, and it's really sad to see because you know you look at all the players that are on that on that Newcastle side and I would have to even say without bias aside that he is their most talented player. I think when you look at what he's able to provide to the team, be it at pace, be it at creativity, the fact that he can go with defenders at full pace and provide that kind of danger, uh, I, you don't see that. Maybe there is one with um, Alan Sam Maxman, but other than that, same Maxman, but other than that, I, I don't see anyone else. So the fact that their best player is being utilized in the wrong way possible really gives me a bit of a of an issue. Because I think if he's better in the middle, I think he's better there because he's suited to where he can string forward passes towards the striker, be it Joelington or anyone else. You know, he can go into that space and, and go at fast pace. Uh, whereas someone that can go in diagonally and also defend not as well, it, 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 that does bring a, a bit of a of an issue. Um, from the camp, I mean, yeah, people are a bit frustrated as well, you know, speaking to some people in there. And, you know, they say that he's a bit stressed out. The fact that, you know, it's perhaps one of the reasons it could be because of the bad moment that the club is having uh, right now. You know, the the kind of um, dysfunctional um, state of the club with their owner, Mike Ashley. And, and all that going into place really has hampered him and his 
and it's time at least for this season at Newcastle. I mean, yes, it's still early days. What we're six games in to the season of a thirty-eight game se- of a thirty-eight game season, so I, I I wouldn't say that seven. Sorry, so I wouldn't say that we have to close the door on him right now. We still have a long way to go. The fact that you know it's. It's still, we're not even a quarter away from the season. I think we just have to wait and see. I think if a system is being changed, if he, if Bruce is going to do that, and he has to play more on the left or play him at center because that way he's able to combine well and 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 use the the talent that he's able to use to be um, productive and, and, and help Newcastle um, whenever they need it. So when when you look at the Paraguayan national team, obviously now you've got your best player playing in one of the biggest leagues in the world. Um, I am I'm a fan of La Liga. I think it's to me it's the best quality league in the world to play, I, I, and I love the style, and I'm biased on that. Uh, but um, I, I love Spanish soccer and um, Spanish football. It, it's it's the game that that for me is is mesmerizing, um, and so when when we uh, when we look at the the Paraguayan national team, you've got your best player playing in the Premier League, which is uh, as you said, so, there's a lot of people that hold the Premier League as the best league in the world. Um, what can't be argued is that he is in one of the top leagues in the world, you know, top, top two or three leagues in the world. And, and, you know, that is obviously got him in a situation where he's got a manager that maybe doesn't really understand what he has in, in Al Maron. Um, when you look at the rest of the players with the Paraguayan national team, where are they plying their trade? Where are they testing themselves and getting better? We obviously know about Miguel, but where where are the rest of those players, uh, you know, playing? And how does that help, or in your opinion, hurt or hamper uh, the Paraguayan national team? Well, historically, I think in terms of Paraguayans on the national team, they've always applied their trade around South America, not just in their own native country, but playing in Argentina or in, in a Brazil. The way that it works there, I think in comparison to other countries, is that just because there's so much competition coming from the neighbors of both Argentina and and Brazil and in Uruguay and Colombia and Chile, you know, the fact that their competition, the fact that they have their own domestic league that's able to provide much more of an, of an attention. What comes for, from a Paraguayan perspective is that these players typically go to an Argentina or to a Colombia to a Brazil first before making that big trade uh, to Europe. But, you know, some people have also done it in Mexico historically. Now what we've seen with, with Miguel Almiron, with other players as well that they've gone to, to to leagues such as MLS and that kind of stuff before playing that applying their trade in Europe. I think looking at the the current setup right now, I think we have about five players playing in in Europe that have been called up on this current national team. So that's not really a good sign in comparison to what other countries, their neighbor countries, that they've been able to offer. But at the same time, I, I think that given the resources and, and what we're able to provide, I think it, it makes sense. I mean, you know, Paraguay have always been 
touted as a historic team in South America. I mean, you, you know, they obviously don't have the history of titles in comparison to a Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, but they have that kind of, you know, nature of being a team that is competitive, uh, you know, very conservative, defensive, and, you know, very counter-attack style that, you know, has made them a, a tough, difficult team to play, not just for their South American counterparts, but also for teams that are in, in the World Cup. You know, they, they went from a team that made it to four straight World Cups from 1998 to 2010 to missing these last two in the last decade. So, yeah, it's it's something like that. It's, it's When you're a country of only six, seven million people, it, it makes it difficult to try to compete to countries that have like 40 million or 200 million. I mean, with Uruguay, with the, I think the only exception that has less of a population, but the fact that they were able to, you know, garner two World Cups and 15 Copa Americas, they get, it gives them that kind of an advantage and gives them that history of, of glory in a way. But in terms of Paraguay, I think, you know, the trade now, I think for them, getting back into that rebuilding process, that hopefully gives them the opportunity to apply their trade in Europe. Um, will allow these players that are playing in Argentina and in Brazil um, the idea of springboarding to Europe. You know, one of the also key factors I think in Paraguay is that they're able to promote you early. You know, there's a rule that you know you have to use a U19 player on your on your national team. Uh, sorry, on your club in Paraguay for at least one minute for every week. So that gives them that idea. So the the, the idea to give that kind of uh, publicity to youngsters helps them a lot and it helps them get that experience be it played in the in a tough really tough league like the Paraguayan league very aggressive and physical league that it is or playing in international tournaments like the Copa Libertadores or the Sudamericana so you have that kind of um, experience in a way but just looking at these players real quick I mean you know you have players like Gustavo Gomez you know the captain of the team playing at teams like Palmeiras you know, in comparison to players that are playing in Europe, you know, you have Fabian Balbuena playing at West Ham, Blas Rivero at Basel in Switzerland. Uh, you know, you have Antonio Sanari playing in Genoa in Italy, Federico Santander also playing in Italy at Bologna. So there's that experience. There really is that kind of European experience, but it's not too much. I mean, you, if you look at the last call-up list, I think the majority of the players that are playing abroad are mostly based off in Argentina and Brazil. So... I think that's just it's it just following in the, in the footsteps of, of players that have been able to be successful in those countries before heading off to Europe. I mean, there are only few, few exceptions of players who've gone to Europe and become successful. Um, so it, it kind of is it, that's that's where we are right now. I think now heading into World Cup qualifying starting in in March, where you know you're gonna get these players that will eventually get called up and you know, get the attention of, of various scouts that, you know, are obviously watching these qualifiers and, you know, or watching the Copa America that they just played. That is able to give them, you know, the exposure for, for a team that, you know, it has always been historically dangered um, in, in all of South America. And I think now just going back to the way that they were decades past, to to achieve with, uh, to to go back to a World Cup, I mean that's always been the objective for this team. You know, to miss the last two, from making it to four straight, from to go to missing two, I think that's something that is unacceptable. And and for them to with the talent that they have, you know, they have the capability of making it to the World Cup, even though those qualifiers are very very difficult to begin with. 
the perception the, the perception of Almiron uh, coming to Major League Soccer uh, in the very beginning of that move before you know getting to Europe. What what was that perception like within Paraguay? Well, in South America as well. Like, how did people view that move? Did they? Was it a head scratcher? Was it like you know, wait and see? What What, what was the reaction? Well, I think, and I actually remember it quite well. I think, given the fact that he was coming off a successful season at Lanús in Argentina, where he, you know he essentially was one of their best players and helped them win a, a title. Now, mind you, Lanús is is a really small side in, in comparison to you know a Boca Juniors or a River or an Independiente or a Racing or San Lorenzo. You know that top five. The fact that a team like Lanús, which is essentially you could say probably a, a neighborhood in Buenos Aires, was able to to win. The Argentine League gave Hanmiro a bit of a, a more attention, and, and the fact that he was able to to provide that, there were people in Paraguay that were saying, you know, uh, he's ready for that big step to head to to Europe. And he was, I think, 22 at the time. Or, yeah, he was 22 at the time, so it was like at the perfect age where you can go to Europe and and see what he could do there, and, and realize that it's not too late. Uh, to to go back and try to do something and, and and that kind of thing, but when you went to MLS, you know, going into this Atlanta United, you know, new franchise, there were people in Paraguay that kind of gave the stereotype that he was kind of ruining his career because you know there was no Paraguayan that had gone to MLS to essentially uh, go at the prime of his career. You know, we've had Paraguayans have gone to the club at the twilight of their career. Uh, and and it builds into that stereotype of being a, a league that is stereotyped as a as a retirement league, which we've seen with various European players that have gone to the uh, league to finish out their careers. But in the case of Almiron, the fact that he was going as their franchise player, the number ten, um, but then also when they realized that he was going to be coached by Tata Martino, who obviously has a big history in Paraguay, you know coached clubs uh, during the 2000s and obviously coached the national team to their best ever uh, finish in a World Cup, finishing in the quarterfinals where they lost to Spain, uh, the eventual champion Spain. Um, I think that was able to say, hang on, okay, I, I think maybe it's serious. And, and then when you look at the, the performances that he was able to put up there in that beautiful new stadium at Mercedes, in Atlanta, I think he realized, I think people realized that, okay, wait a minute, I think he, he really is providing something. And when no one was able to step up uh, on other players of the national team, he was able to to be that player and, and realize that he was important. You know, the fact that he was able to win uh, Paraguayan Player of the Year two times, two years in a row, demonstrates the the importance that he has at Atlanta and, and realize that you know, it it, it it gave him much more of a, of a springboard of attention because, you know, even though maybe Joseph Martinez stole the the accolades of being the top goal scorer and, and breaking that record of most goals in a single season, it was on your own that was kind of that playmaker, that number 10, as he was obviously placed on, that, on his shirts. You know, the one that started everything, the one that provided, that was really the, the heartbeat of the entire team. So I think the perception in Paraguay now is realizing that you know this this league is really special and, and and competitive for players to be able to go and make that big springboard of of opportunity. You know now we have various Paraguayans applying their trade in MLS uh, who have also been on a national team as well, and they've seen already. Like one big example would be Kaku playing at New York Red Bull. Um, 
you know, he's, he's been a really important piece for them as well as they head into the playoffs. Uh, but also on the national team as well, he's demonstrated his his talent and, and was actually very, very uh, re- well received by a lot of the fans in their last friendly. So, yeah, I, I think that effect that Amarona has been doing in MLS has allowed more Paraguayans to go into the league, not just um, also gain that experience, but also from a financial perspective, the fact that they were able to pay that big money. Uh, in probably comparison to what other European clubs probably won't do, that just gives them much more of a uh, that, that just gives more Paraguayans attention to watch it. You know, it's obviously broadcast uh, every so often in in the country, and that just gives them much more exposure uh, on a different level that hasn't been seen in in various years. Looking at the landscape of South American soccer, um, there's been you know uh, some really amazing talents developed in those countries over the decades. And uh, we we obviously know about the Brazilians and we know about the Argentines. We know about the Colombians and some others. Um, But when you look at the region from a commercial standpoint, um, even though they're producing these amazing players and they've got clubs with incredible history and passion for the game, the commercial side has not, equaled the the uh, the ability of Europe to really come together and 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 what we've seen in Europe has not really translated uh, with South America even though you've got the club passion you've got the club history what are some of those factors that you see when you look at South American soccer as to why uh, we're not seeing uh, South America be more of a destination for players rather than you know being in a talent export region well, I think I don't think it just has to do with anything that is involved in soccer. I think you have to look at it from politically, you know, from an actual country perspective, and, and just from resources. I think the fact that there is that big disadvantage from South America, you know, they call it the old continent uh, for many reasons. Um, I think that when you look at Europe and, and the resources and the money that is brought in, that that, that that that's just not, that's not in in regards to soccer at all you know that's just more of a of a political and like an actual you know country perspective rather than you know focusing on soccer i think that's always been the case i mean yeah if you go back in time probably in the 40s and the 50s you know south america was you know the place you know the place where you you were going and, and, and playing and applying their trade. I mean, you know, the fact that Pele was there uh, for playing at Santos for the majority of his career before finishing off in New York was was proven that, that, yeah, they were able to compete and they were able to compete. But I think now, I think in this era of globalization where players are now, you know, the fact that you're, you're a YouTube video clip away from seeing how a talent is or a, or a, a dodgy scream away from watching a, a game in South America. I, I think that's that's changed the landscape of how soccer is viewed in the, in the entire world. But I think now, because of the fact that you know these teams are, you know, I mean, some of these clubs or these associations are in financial crisis. There's a lot of corruption that people really have talked about, but, and the fact that there's also this type of violence and. And I think just incompetence in a way from a lot of these clubs that, you know, realize that 
they depend on Europe uh, in terms of getting their revenue because the fact that they're able to you know produce one big talent there and then ship it off for a um, for a big price that would be a lot for the club so it, it's kind of like that it's kind of just that codependency on how the the teams are able to to function properly and you know there's obviously different ways of how these clubs are receiving their money you know be it from uh hooligan supporter groups or other forms of, of financial um advantages and the fact that there's only so many clubs that are so you know financially stable in a way uh, in comparison to other teams in all of all of south america you know, it's still not even compared to what Europe is able to do. I mean, I think I would be convinced that maybe a, a near relegation side in the Premier League is probably worth more and has more of a financial revenue than probably the most earned club in, in all of South America, maybe be it Flamengo in Brazil or a Palmeiras or a Boca or a River in Argentina. You know, they, that that's just the case. It's always been like that. There's always been that kind of uh, movement in, in dependency on, on what Europe is able to offer. And I think it's just going to stay that way. <laughs> and, and I don't see it moving anytime soon. What is it about South America? You've got, you know, you mentioned earlier in, in, in our chat about Uruguay being uh, even smaller than Paraguay in terms of population, yet able to produce national teams that compete uh, on an international level. They, they've produced stars like you know Cavani and Suarez and others um and and you see Argentina you see obviously Brazil player development in South America is is you know really what what this that that region internationally is known for right is that all of these stars that get exported over to Europe and you see, you know, the likes of a Danny Alves, a Marcelo, a Neymar, uh, obviously Messi. Um, you know, what is it about South America? The culture, the 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 passion for the sport. What 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 is it that helps at least shape some of that development environment to be able to continually produce and develop? Uh, players that are that are on a world class level. I think it's more towards the passion. You know, the fact that you. I mean, we'll, we'll give the good, good example to Uruguay. I think it's safe to say for a country of three million people that for some, for them soccer is it. It is a way of being able to to provide yourself uh, a better future. And I think when you look at all these countries that you know all these stories of players that have made it essentially from the ground down, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the Maradona documentary yet on HBO, but the fact that this, this, this player came out of, of extreme, extreme poverty to become one of the greatest players of all time, I think just shows that kind of that myth and, and kind of a miss and kind of a, of a motivating tool, the fact that, you know, you have these players and these people and these, you know, little boys and, and girls as well, mind you, you know, that, you know, dream of being those type of players to, and, and come from similar backgrounds um, 
you hear stories of these teams of the, you know, the Brazil sides that won the world, that won the world cup and Argentina and Uruguay, they've also won the world cup, but also these stories of players that have come from extreme poverty to make it to be millionaires and be recognized all around the world. I think that just serves as a, as a tool, as a motivating tool. And that's where the passion comes in. You know, the fact that, you know, these, what makes it so different is that it's a way out. It's a way out from the common man or the common woman to, to essentially, you know, forget about what their problems are, be it economically or politically or socially. You know, the fact that they're able to, you know, go to the stadium with their with their kid or with their friends and and cheer on the team that they've supported since birth, to to hopefully dream of, of achieving glory. I think that just I think that's just something that it's it's undescribable. You can't really pinpoint an exact moment of why such a thing happened it's always been natural i think the fact that this was a sport that was brought by the europeans um you know in this case on different countries you know be it either the italians or the dutch or the the portuguese or the english or you know any of those types of guys that were able to bring that sport into the old continent and, and make it their own and 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 provide a sort of gathering gathering point for all these fans to, to cheer on a team it, it's undescribable you really can't but i think you have to realize that this is a sport that you know it's it's a way out it's, it's it's a way out i mean the fact that in a country like brazil that is so deemed high in in how you how you play and the pressure that comes from playing on a side like you know, maybe Flamengo and or playing on the Brazilian national team where, you know, for for them, playing in an international tournament, it doesn't matter if it's a Copa America or or um, or a World Cup, you know, it's still seemed as as in high regard, you know. You come to the World Cup to or, or any competition to win. And anything less than that be it comes to the final or lose or or you know, going ending up in the quarterfinals or in the group stages, it doesn't matter. It's still applied the same as failure. And that just shows in that passion and that that is applied everywhere that it, it, it's undescribable, but it, it makes sense because it's just it's just there and it, it will continue to be kind of a of a gathering you know, they, they say soccer is a religion there and, you know, they're, they're not far off from that. That's for sure. So it's, it's that really, it's something that you can't really describe. And therefore I, I just, it, it, it makes me happy that people are able to take notice of how South America really is as a, as a sport that it's deemed passionate all around the world that, you know, you, you do have some kind of uh, bad, people and bad things that are happening in the in these countries but at the same time you know you look at the passion that these fans have from in extreme terms uh, it, it shows why it's so different to to everyone else even in europe uh why the sport is so beautiful now you're you are you're young you're get you you're in the business um you're you're in media you're you're covering the sport that you love um what do you see 
in terms of coverage of the sport, how do you see this changing molding as more technology, more tools, more resources, um, you know, are, are in the hands of media content, uh, creators and producers, as well as the shift from, you know, the 50 inch screen on your wall to the, you know, five inch screen in your hand. What do you see, uh, in terms of media coverage for the sport? Do you see more access? Do you see different angles? Angles, um, you know, with, with your um, vantage point and your view uh, of the sport and your coverage so far, how do you see that shifting over the next few years? Well, I see it shifting tremendously. I think with technology advancing more every other day, I think that just gives more uh, resources for the for the world to view the sport. I think in the United States, the fact that you weren't able to to watch it. A soccer game period live some 30 years ago 20 years ago to just having the access to watching any league be it i don't know like belgian or, or colombia with just a few clicks of your of your phone sorry of your computer or or going on your phone and streaming it i think it's i think it's grown tremendously and it's here to here to stay and it's going to continue to grow personally i think you know with the sport becoming much more popular in the country <coughs> i'm sorry i think with that providing a factor of so many people being much more interested in the sport it gives them it gives them the idea and and, and the fact that you know in comparison to what other leagues here in the united states and other sports are here with the um with the nba in basketball with the mlb in baseball with nfl and football um I think there's only just one league that just dominates it. You know, you're isolating yourself from other leagues. But in the sport of soccer, you know, the fact that you you have your United States, you have Mexico, you have South America, you have your top five in Europe. You even have those that are outside the top five because, you know, you have people from that country watching it. It's it's growing tremendously. You know, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm approaching 22 in the next few months. Um, but I've seen and then I've experienced the growth of being able to to watch a game be it on my TV or on my phone or on my laptop or or, or you know uh, a virtual reality you know even that to that extent I think it's seen it tremendously I think hopefully that from a media perspective we're able to give that attention and be able to provide the access that we can by by giving a, a platform to these leagues, to the people that work uh, covering these leagues as well. I think that's, that's what's important to, to give that chance to the people that are able, that are so passionate that are passionate about prospective respective leagues or, or even all the leagues in, in general, you know, give that kind of platform and, and try to reach out to the common fan that maybe is a soccer fan, but isn't really as big because maybe there is not something that the fan is, is um is caught on but you you want to bring that you want to get give them that attention you want to to explain to them not force it down their throat obviously but just allow them to realize that you know this sport is special you know this league is special these players are special and it's a reason why it's the world's biggest game it's the most popular game you know the fact that there are people that view this sport as life or death literally um in, in some countries in the world people have you know people have died playing it or 
going to the games or and and you know be it the tradition and the folklore that the sport has all around the world i think when it comes to the united states and such a big country and such a country that is so diverse with various uh races and and communities and and people from all around the world you know the melting pot as they always say here the fact that they could use a, a sport like soccer that you know is essentially the world's game and and try to you know make it their own and to make it um popular i think that just gives me the hope that it will indeed succeed by the time i'm in my 30s or my 40s that it, we we are talking about a real juggernaut um in in this country but i think it all starts at how you're able to market the sport how you're able to promote it and if done safely if done correctly and if done um with time and and naturally and not forcing it so so quickly that it it gives them that kind of environment and and, and natural um way of development Looking at the landscape of American soccer, and I want to kind of land here. Um, obviously, it's not known as you know a a bastion of 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 quality and excellence compared to uh, South America, compared to Europe, etc. What has to change in order for American soccer to really reach what I believe is its its ultimate potential is that I, I think it could be the greatest soccer country on earth if it ever embraced that as a goal, as a vision, and, and really worked towards that end. Uh, there's so many factors that, that you mentioned that hold back South American soccer that are already in place here and in place in, in a bigger and, and better way than that's in place in Europe uh, from an economic standpoint. And then, you know, you have what I consider to be the greatest sports economy on earth um, in this country as well. Uh, it's just not uh, part of the American soccer landscape yet uh, for a variety of reasons. And I'm curious to see what you your thoughts are on that what do you see that needs to change in order for us to see american soccer really grow in a real substantive way outside of you know uh, a couple dozen you know franchises i'm talking about the deep-rooted passion being um you know ignited all over this country well there's a quote i think from tom buyer you know he's an american coach who helped kind of revolutionized soccer in, in, in Japan. You know, and he said something along the lines that it's easier to improve a country that has no soccer culture at all than a country that has a flawed soccer culture. Now, you obviously see that flawed soccer culture here in the United States where you know you look at the top and what the, the United States Soccer Federation is is perhaps one of the biggest roadblocks, unfortunately, you know, as a as a federation that um, is supposed to help a soccer raise its game and for it to to provide, to provide as a as a support for this sport you know the fact that it's one of the biggest roadblocks it, it kind of does help its its progress i mean if you see there's that kind of incompetence that greed you know, the pure arrogance you have there and the short-sightedness that if it's ever going to be taken seriously in the sport then it has to start at the top and with a complete overhaul you know the the fact that a country of 320 million people that 
is what I think top five in the biggest cop populations in the entire world. You know, the fact that they're viewing this more as a as a business, as a money grab rather than than working as a as an actual federation. Uh, that's not going to work. I mean, you know, the fact that they don't really consider grassroots soccer, you know, they, they view it, they don't look at the cultures that they have here. They don't look at the way that, you know, these, these players that are coming from poverty are having to spend hundreds just to play a sport that, you know, doesn't even guarantee them a, a starting spot there. You know, the whole pay-to-play culture, that's where it is. I mean, can you just imagine, like, the pool of players the United States would have if they had a game that was built on strong scouting across the land to find the best talent regardless of their background or ethnicity rather than just being able to see if they could afford to play youth soccer? I mean, just think of that. They'd be powerhouses. So I think that's where it starts. I think you have to realize that, you know, for various of these, of these people that play the sport, it's still viewed as a rich sport for for various reasons i think you know the fact that they're just looking at this as a tool to make money as a business rather than just trying to promote it organically in like other countries as well that's what hampers it i think that's what's the, that's what's really stopping the sport from growing is the fact that there is that kind of arrogance and the fact that they're viewing this more as a business rather than as a tool to help develop players that's the issue i see it i mean once once something is indeed fixed from that perspective, then then yes, then I see it growing. What's good is that now I think what, in a way, it is unfortunate that it had to come to that moment. Um, but when the United States missed the the World Cup, the you know, people are now waking up and realizing what's going on. The fact that it's hampered the sports to to see that you know you know this cannot happen to a to a team coming out of a federation or a confederation that is quite frankly, given the advantage that the United States had with other compared with other countries with the exception of Mexico, I think that that's something like this should not happen ever. So yeah, people waking up and realizing what's going on, what's wrong. I mean, it's still not really sure what is trying to be done in terms of fixing it. You know, when I think once they, they understand that they're able to, pick out those players and, and realizing that there are there's talent there and not force them to cough up hundreds of dollars just for them to play and giving them a, a platform for them to perform um, the, and showcase their talents. That's where I think it's going to start. And obviously with this culture thing, it, it's that's also going to have to be done organically. I think when you realize that there are people here who, who are passionate, that's, that's without exception. I think, you know, even those that maybe are coming, not from even coming from American countries that view this sport as, as life or death, you know, those people are, are getting that kind of experience and, and learning from them and, and realizing that, you know, they could make this their own sport. They could make it, but, you know, it's going to have to take, it's going to have to take a lot more. I mean, one winning a World Cup would probably be the the one thing that would have to give them the objective of of seeing that as a serious soccer country. But you know, when the women are doing it already, you know, for four times yeah, as as a country, um, there is that issue that for the men, you know, what are they doing wrong? And you could already pinpoint a lot of the of the issues that I just mentioned here. Yeah. 
as one of the things that really is holding back soccer in this country. I I absolutely agree, and uh, and and there are so many things we could get into in terms of reform and fixing or whatever. But I think you were spot on in terms of um, of your sentiments and your thoughts. Uh, look, Roberto, thanks for coming on the show today and and sharing uh, your insight uh, and and your ideas about the game and. And then, you know, obviously your, your coverage as well. How can people uh, stay in touch with you, follow your work? Yeah, definitely. So obviously, uh, I think the best way is to follow my social media. Uh, if you go on Twitter, it's Roberto Rojas 97, all in one word. Uh, that's where I'm able to basically provide my coverage on, on everything soccer, not just in South America or Paraguay in general, but, you know, be it European, be it, uh, you know, MLS or be it anything, really. Um, and not just, I think, <laughs> I think one of my favorite things now is that, you know, with baseball season coming up as well, well, for me, it's baseball season because, you know, it's the postseason. I'm a Yankees fan. You know, we, we take, we play on the twins in the ALDS this Friday. Um, you know, it's not always just soccer, you know, it could be basketball, it could be baseball, it could be football, you know, it could be other things in, in modern pop culture, I would say. Uh, yeah, you can just follow me there and hopefully you could enjoy some of the coverage that, I'm able to provide and hopefully be continuing to provide as I continue to hopefully be much more established in this, in this industry that it's, it, it, it's tough to break into, but I, I do my best to hopefully uh, help people see a different light in, in the way soccer is viewed. Well, um, best of luck with your work, um, except for with the Yankees. That is a terrible decision on your part. Um, I wish nothing but failure and calamity upon the New York Yankees. And uh, who do they play? The Twins? The Twins. Oh, man. Uh, we are all Minnesota fans this week. Um, I, I, I'm a, a Red Sox fan. Uh, and so um, that that is enough. Uh to, to, to let you know where I stand on the Yankees, but uh, in every other capacity, I wish you the best of luck, uh, except, except with your, your love for the Yankees. <laughs> but uh, I really do appreciate you coming on the show, spending some time with us, um, and look forward to having you back on again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, anytime, just shoot me a message or, or reach out to me, and I'd love to come on. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to to be able to, to talk about a little bit of soccer, as always. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that is Roberto Rojas. I really appreciate him coming on. He is uh, a member of BN Sports USA. He is a multimedia journalist, and I appreciate him spending time with us and uh, sharing his thoughts and his insights into the game. As always, you can watch the show on facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at danielworkman.com. You can catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Again, a big thank you to Roberto Rojas for joining us. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.